Section 35 of The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1, Mammals by Charles Lewis Cornish, Editor. Section 35. The Elephant by F. C. Silos. At once the mightiest and most majestic of all terrestrial mammals, the elephant appeals to the imagination more forcibly than any other living animal, not only on account of its great sagacity and the strangeness and singularity of its outward appearance, but also because it is such an obvious link between the world of today and the dim and distant past of Pleistocene and Miocene times. There are two existing species of elephant, the African and the Asiatic. The latter, from the structure of its molar teeth and the shape of its skull, appearing to be very nearly related to the mammoth, which lived upon the earth in comparatively recent times, geologically speaking, and was undoubtedly contemporary with man in Europe during the Stone Age. There are very considerable differences both in the external appearance and also in the habits of the two existing forms of elephant. In the African species the forehead is more convex and the eye relatively larger than its Asiatic cousin, and whilst the ears of the latter are only of moderate size, those of the former are so large that they at once arrest the attention and are one of that animal's most remarkable external characteristics. Both sexes of the African species, with few exceptions, carry well-developed tusks, but in the Asiatic form the tusks of the females are so small as scarcely to protrude beyond the jaws. In Asia, too, tuskless bull elephants are common while males of the African species without tusks are extremely rare. The latter species has but three nails on the hind foot, the Asiatic elephant four. In the African species the middle of the back is hollowed, the shoulder being the highest point, whilst in the Asiatic elephant the back is arched and the top of the shoulder lower than the highest part of the back. The extremity of the proboscis is also different. In the two species, the African elephant being furnished with two nearly equal-sized prolongations, the one on the front, the other on the hinder margin, with which small objects can be grasped as with the finger and thumb of the human hand, whilst in the Asiatic species, the finger-like process on the upper margin of the end of the trunk is considerably longer than that on the underside. In external appearance, the skin of the African elephant is darker in colour and rougher in texture than that of the Asiatic form. The molar teeth of the formal animal are too of much coarser construction, with fewer and larger plates and thicker enamel than in the latter, which would naturally lead one to suppose that the African elephant is accustomed to eat coarser, harder food than the Asiatic species. This supposition is borne out by fact, for whilst the Asiatic elephant feeds mainly upon grass, the leaves and fruit of the wild plantain, 
and the young shoots of the bamboo together with the leaves, twigs and bark of certain trees. The African species never eats grass, and although very fond of certain kinds of soft and succulent food, such as wild fruits and the inner bark of certain trees, is constantly engaged in chewing up the roots and branches of trees as thick as a man's wrist for the sake of the sap and bark, the woody portions being rejected after having been reduced to pulp. The Asiatic elephant appears to be far less tolerant of exposure to the heat of the sun than the African, and whilst the latter may often be found standing at rest or sleeping through the hottest hours of the day in long grass or scubby bush of a height, not sufficient to afford any protection from the sun to the whole of the upper portion of the head and body. The former, when in a wild state, is said to always seek the shade of the dentist forests it can find during hot weather. The Asiatic elephant often lies down when resting and sleeping. This is in marked contrast to the African species, which, if it ever does lie down at all, except to roll in mud or rub itself against an ant heap, can only do so very rarely, since in all my experience, though I have seen some thousands of African elephants standing, sleeping during the heat of the day, I have never yet seen one of those animals lying down, nor found the impress in the ground where one had been lying. When excited and charging, both species of elephant raise their heads and cock their ears, which in the African animal stand out at such a time like two sails, and being each upwards of three and a half feet in breadth, cover together with the animal's head an expanse of fully ten feet. The Asiatic elephant is said to remain mute whilst charging, and to hold its trunk tightly curled up between its tusks. The African elephant, on the other hand, usually accompanies a charge of a constant succession of short, sharp trumpeting screams. Sometimes, though rarely, However, animals of this species remain mute whilst charging, but they never, I believe, coil their trunks up under their throats. Often an African elephant will swing round for a charge of a loud scream and trunk held high in the air, but in my experience, when settling down to a chase, it drops its trunk and holds it pointing straight down in front of its chest. In the southern portions of the African continent, the average standing height at the shoulder of full-grown bull elephants ranges from 10 feet to 10 feet 6 inches, though individuals have doubtless been met with in those districts which have much exceeded these dimensions. In north-central Africa, the average standing height appears to be some inches higher, approaching 11 feet, and in those districts it is quite possible that individuals exist which exceed 12 feet in height. African cow elephants stand from 8 feet to 8 feet 6 inches at the shoulder. The Asiatic species is considerably smaller than the African, the average height of full-grown males not exceeding 9 feet, though certain individuals now and then attain to a much greater size, as is indicated by the fact that there is a mounted skeleton of an Indian elephant in the museum at Calcutta, which stands 11 feet 3 inches at the shoulder. In the size of its tusks, the African elephant far surpasses the Asiatic species. In India, a pair of tusks measuring 5 feet in length and weighing 70 pounds. The pair would, I think, be considered large, 
though an elephant was killed by Sir Victor Brooke in the Garrow Hills, of a single tusk measuring eight feet in length, seventeen inches in circumference, and weighing ninety pounds, and a few tusks even exceeding these dimensions have been recorded. In southern Africa, the tusks of full-grown bull elephants usually weigh from eighty to one hundred and twenty pounds, the pair, and measure about six feet in length, with a circumference of from sixteen to eighteen inches, but these weights and measurements have often been much exceeded, and in my own experience I have known of two pairs of elephants' tusks having been obtained south of the Zambezi, each of which weighed slightly over three hundred pounds, each tusk weighing upwards of nine feet in length, whilst a single tusk brought from the neighbourhood of Lake Nagami in 1873 weighed 174 pounds. The average weight of cow elephant tusks in southern Africa is from 20 to 30 pounds, the pair, but I have seen the tusk of a cow elephant killed in Matabiland, which weighed 39 pounds and measured over 6 feet in length, whilst its fellow almost equaled it in size and weight. In north-central Africa, according to Sir Samuel Baker, the tusks of full-grown elephants average about 140 pounds the pair, and tusks weighing upward of 100 pounds each are not at all uncommon, whilst many of a much greater size have been obtained. Until quite recently, a tusk in the possession of Sir E. G. Loder, which weighs 184 pounds and measures 9 feet 5 inches in length, with a circumference of twenty-two and a half inches, was supposed to be the largest in existence. But in 1899, two tusks were obtained near Kilimanjaro in east-central Africa, both of which much exceeded this weight. These enormous tusks were at first stated to be a pair taken from a single elephant, but though nearly equal in weight, they are said to be differently shaped, and as their history is not yet fully known, it is possible though not probable that they originally belonged to two different elephants. The larger of these two tusks has recently been purchased for the collection of the British Museum Natural History, where it may now be seen. It weighs 228 pounds, measures 10 feet 2.5 inches on the outside curve, and 24 and a quarter in girth at the thickest part. The tusks of cow elephants are also considerably larger and heavier on the average in east-central and north-central Africa than in the southern portions of the continent. At the present time, the Asiatic elephant is found in a wild state in most of the forest-covered tracts of India, Ceylon, Assam, Burma, Siam, Cochin, China, Sumatra, and Borneo, whilst the African species, though it has been hunted out of large tracts of country in south and southwestern Africa, still inhabits the greater part of the continent south of the Sahara, and in many districts of Central Africa appears to be extraordinarily abundant. In the Cape Colony, two herds still exist under the protection of the government. As might be expected from the greater length of its legs and consequent longer stride, the African elephant is admitted by those who have had experience of both species to be a more active animal than its Asiatic cousin. Speaking of the walking and running powers of the Indian elephant, that great authority, Mr. Sanderson, says that the only pace of the elephant is the walk, 
capable of being increased to a fast shuffle of about 15 miles an hour for very short distances. It can neither trot, canter, nor gallop. It does not move with the legs on the same side, but nearly so. A very good runner might keep out of an elephant's way on a smooth piece of turf, but on the ground in which they are generally met with any attempt to escape by flight, unless supplemented by concealment, would be unavailing. This description exactly coincides with my own experience of the African elephant, except that I think that animals of the latter species, especially cows and young bulls, are capable of getting up a pace of at least 20 miles an hour and keeping it up from 100 to 200 yards when charging. In disposition, both African and Asiatic elephants are as a rule timid animals, excepting in the case of males of the latter species when suffering from sexual excitement are always inclined to shun danger. I have never heard of male elephants of the African species becoming savage and aggressive at any season of the year. Indeed, old bulls always appear to me to be less inclined to charge than cows or young bulls. The eyesight of the elephant, of the African species at least, is bad, and his hearing not particularly acute, but his olfactory nerves are probably more highly developed than in any other animal, and aided by this exquisite sense of smell, he will avoid a human being if possible. But if elephants are attacked and wounded, they become savage and dangerous animals, and the charge of an African elephant coming on with the great ears outspread to the accompaniment of a quick succession of short, sharp trumpeting screams, besides being very sudden and rapid, it's very disconcerting to the nerves of a man unaccustomed to such experiences. I remember the case of a young Englishman who was killed in Matabeleland many years ago by the first elephant he had ever seen. This animal, an old bull, had retired, after having been wounded, into a small but dense patch of fawn bush, into which his pursuer thought it unadvisable to follow on horseback. He therefore left his horse, and advanced on foot toward the cluster of trees amongst which the elephant was concealed. The latter, having either seen or smelt the approaching enemy, at once charged out, screaming loudly, and a young hunter, instead of standing his ground and firing at the advancing monster, lost his presence of mind, and turning, ran for his horse, but before he reached it he was overtaken and killed. It seemed to the friend who found his body, he was close at hand shooting another elephant at the time, and pieced the story together from the tracks of man, horse and elephant, that the victim had first been struck in the back of the head by one of the pursuer's tusks. At any rate, his skull had been smashed to pieces and emptied of its brains. Then the elephant had rushed upon him where he fell, and after thirst having driven a tusk right through his chest and deep into the ground, had stamped him into a bloody pulp with his huge feet. A wagon was brought the same night, and the mangled body carried to the hunter's camp on the banks of the Ramok Webine, where it was buried. The strength of the elephant is proverbial, and in India and Burma, where this animal has for ages past been trained in the service of man, this power is habitually made use of in moving and stacking large bulks of timber, or in dragging heavy guns through muddy ground or steep ascents. 
In Africa, the traveller is often astonished at the size of trees which have been uprooted and overturned by elephants. These trees, however, have no taproot and have not therefore a very firm hold in the ground, especially during the rainy season when the ground is soft. At this time of year, large trees are butted down by elephants which push against their stems with a thick part of their trunks and get them on the swing until the roots become loosened and the trees are at last overturned. Small trees of two or three inches in diameter, as well as branches, they break off with their trunks. In 1878, a tuskless bull elephant, I met the same animal again in 1885, and he is the only African bull elephant without tusks I have ever seen, killed a native hunter in Mashunaland. This man, a big, powerful Zulu, and a great friend of my own, was torn into three pieces. I imagine that after having caught him, the elephant held the unfortunate man down with his foot or knee, and then twisting his trunk round his body, tore him asunder, surely a terrible exhibition of strength. The elephant is a very slow-growing and long-lived animal, not arriving at maturity to upwards of thirty years of age, and since cases are on record of elephants having lived for upwards of 130 years in captivity in India, it is probable that in a wild state, these animals, both in Asia and Africa, often attain to an age of 150 years. The female elephant produces, as a rule, but one calf at birth, the period of gestation lasting from 18 to nearly 22 months. The mammae of the cow elephant are placed between the forelegs, and the newborn calf sucks of its mouth, holding its trunk turned back over its head. I have seen elephant calves so engaged. Although there is no reason to doubt that the African elephant is as intelligent as the Asiatic species, its domestication has never been attempted by the Negro or Bantu races of Africa. It is believed, however, that the African elephant was in ancient times domesticated by the Carthaginians, and used by them in their wars with the Romans. The opinion, too, is generally held that the elephants with which Hannibal crossed the Alps were of the African species, as well as those which, after the conquest of Carthage, were used in the Roman amphitheatres and military pageants. On the other hand, it is well to remember that the late Mr. W. Cotton Oswell, who had great experience both with African and Asiatic elephants, wrote as follows on this subject. I believe some people suppose that the Carthaginians tamed and used the African elephant. They could hardly have had Mahout's Indian fashion, for there is no marked depression in the nape of the neck for a seat, and a hemming of the ears when erected would have half smothered them. My knowledge does not allow me to raise any argument on this point but might not the same market have been open to the dwellers at Carthage, as was afterwards to Mithridites, who I suppose drew his supply from India? I know in the representation of elephants on the medals of Prestunia and of Cephimus Surveus, the ears are African, though the bodies and heads are Indian. But these were struck nearly 400 years after Carthaginian times when the whole known world had been ransacked by the Romans for beasts in their public shows, and I still think it possible that the Carthaginians, the great traders and colonisers of old, 
where they have obtained elephants through some of their colonies from India. An interesting example of the intelligence of these animals can be seen any day at the London Zoological Gardens. A large African elephant restores to his would-be entertainers all the biscuits, whole or broken, which strike the bars and fall alike out of his reach and theirs in the space between the barrier and his cage. He points his trunk at the biscuits and blows them hard along the floor to the feet of the persons who have thrown them. He clearly knows what he is doing, because if the biscuits do not travel far enough, he gives them a harder blow. End of section 35